Well, as a young woman searching for faith, I saw my relationship with Jesus and the very particular belief system that I glommed onto as an arrival at a destination or maybe even the destination. So my narrative would have been something like this. I was searching for God for transcendence, for answers to some of the big questions that I was answering, and I had um, what seemed to me to be quite a miraculous encounter with Jesus. And of course, this wouldn't be trivial um, for anyone, but it was particularly not trivial for me, um, given uh, my being Jewish. As people close to me um, let me know at that time, as a young woman, um, that time in my life, Putting my faith in Jesus was the worst thing that I could do. And I understand some of how challenging that would be for the Jewish community because, as I've shared many times, I was born about 12 years after the end of World War II, after the end of the Holocaust. Jewish people in our country were not a beloved uh, minority. Today, Jewish people represent 3% of our country, and um, people who would self-identify as Christian, 64% about. Um, But that's down from 90% 50 years ago, and I have no idea, then go back um, another few years. So all that to say, my decision to follow Jesus was a big deal. I had been searching for so long. I used to uh, quote a song that Most of you are too young to know I was looking for love in all the wrong places, um, and love found me. So this glorious moment that I can mark where I encountered God, and now I would no longer need to look. I just need to know how to be, what does it mean to be a good follower of Jesus, and I would give my life to that endeavor. Well, this notion of understanding that our lives are in search of a destination or maybe in service of that destination served me for a long time. And it was the lens through which um, I read the scripture, the lens through which I interpreted life. God told Abraham, go with a particular destination in mind. Moses is leading the people of God to the promised land. And this is how I lived my life for decades. It was the hill that I would die on. I was certain of my belief. Um, I needed to be certain of my belief. Everyone needed what I found. I related to other humans knowing that my hill was the right hill. And if I prayed hard enough and did a good enough job sharing my faith, um, understanding, sharing the understanding of my hill, it was just a matter of time until they too would arrive at my destination. Well, this way of doing life um, broke down for me for a number of reasons, um, two that I'll name this morning. One, I became so focused on destination that I was missing out on the journey. And two, much of our, much of um, my life don't end. Our lives don't always end in our hoped for destinations. 
So then what? So what I want to propose this morning is two things. One, that our lives are a journey, that we arrive at some of our desired destinations and not all of them. And two, it's the journey that matters, or another way of saying it, that God is intimately concerned with our journey. So many of our Bible stories are about journey. God speaks to Abraham and to Sarah and says, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. Later, God promises Abraham more descendants than sand on the seashore. Um, but God's promises are not realized in Abraham's life. His descendants weren't numerous, and the land that God has for him is already inhabited, which is problematic for a lot of reasons. Moses delivers the Hebrew people from slavery, which is our central story of liberation, and then he leads the newly freed people to the land of promise. But Moses doesn't ever arrive. He doesn't get to the destination. The stories that I thought of as destination turn out to be stories of journey. Jesus says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and journeys from place to place. And St. Francis and others model their lives after that. So the scripture that we're looking for this morning comes from the book of Ruth. I really love the book of Ruth, so I end up preaching something from it a couple times a year. And part of that is that I grew up um, in the synagogue, and the book of Ruth uh, has a holiday around it that we celebrated every year. Um, so it's a short book that probably many of you are familiar with, but Naomi and Eli Melech are a married couple. They and their two sons um, move from Bethlehem, which is uh, where the Hebrew people were, home to the people of God, to Moab, which is sort of a notorious Gentile um, land because of famine um, in, in Bethlehem, Judah. So Bethlehem means house of bread or house of plenty. And the authors are setting us up for a story told of irony. Um, it, it's, there's a famine in the house of plenty or in the house of bread is how the story opens up. And then the book is filled with irony. It's a Hebrew couple who leave their homeland for Gentile country while in Moab, Eli Melech dies. The two sons marry Moabite women. Now, we don't get commentary in the story about it. It doesn't say, oh, and by the way, for uh, Jewish people to marry outside their faith is a major no-no. Um, we don't know if Naomi is... Uh, beside herself, feel like, oh my gosh, why did we ever leave Bethlehem? Like, this is terrible. Or maybe she's just saying, when in Moab? Um, <laughs> we only know that the husband and the two sons die in Moab. And that's all that's said. So there's speculation among um, Jewish commentators, among Christians, um, over the years about why they died. Was it punishment for their choices? Did leaving Judah in the time of famine show lack of trust in God, the cost of marrying outside the faith? Right? We don't know. But bereaved Naomi tells her daughter-in-law to go 
home and she will go back to Bethlehem. And of course, Naomi has to return to Bethlehem. There is no male to provide for her. Women can't own anything. They are property, right? So she has to go by the only people who can care for her. She has to find um, male relatives now to provide for her. Naomi understandably uh, takes a new name for herself. She calls herself Marar, um, which uh, means bitter, saying that the Lord has made my life bitter. So daughter-in-law number one listens to Naomi, returns to her family and to security, but Ruth remains with Naomi. The story goes on ironically. Naomi and Ruth go to Bethlehem, um, and Ruth, the Gentile, ends up marrying Boaz, the Jew. Together they have a son to put in Naomi's arms. The son goes on to become the great-grandfather of King David, and Ruth finds her name in Matthew's genealogy. Now, I love the story. It's much more complex than it seems for a lot of reasons, but it is generally told as a story of destination. So, destination Moab, destination Bethlehem, destination bearing this special child, destination Matthew's genealogy. And when we look at the story from 2,500 years plus, which is kind of mind-boggling, um, but we see these destinations and we make meaning where we can and we speculate about God's purposes. And all of this is fair, but Ruth herself tells us what the story is for her. So Naomi begs Ruth to go back to her family, um, and maybe because it's the best thing for Ruth, but, but maybe because she's hesitant to bring Ruth with her into Judah um, because it's going to be an admission of their choices, of their running away during the famine, of the intermarriage, maybe ruining any chances um, for Ruth um, to find community with her people. But Ruth refuses to go back, and this is what it says in the scripture. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go, she stopped urging her. So essentially, Ruth is saying, I am hitching my life to your wagon, right? Destination isn't what matters to me. I am giving up destination. Where you are is my destination. We will journey together. Now, obviously, journey and destination are intimately tied up, but it is very easy for us to become so aware of destinations, which in reality can become quite elusive, and we lose sight of the journey. Ruth didn't know when she chose the journey that 
Now, she would be welcome in Bethlehem. She didn't know that there would be a Boaz or the crazy, risky, dangerous things she would have to do to hopefully find favor with this man. She didn't know about King David, and Matthew's genealogy was hundreds of years in coming. There was no destination other than Naomi. If anything, a foreshadowing of what it looks like to glom on to a person, to make relationship itself the destination. What many of us say to Jesus, I am hitching my life to your wagon, come what may. So what do Ruth, does Ruth's confession invite us into this morning? I want to propose four things. Number one, Ruth's confession invites us to hear God's invitation to go as an invitation to journey. At the very least, it can be for us an invitation to consider something important to us with an unknown outcome. Like Abraham, Ruth goes, what I saw as destination when I became a follower of Jesus was in fact an invitation to journey. Jesus' invitation, Jesus, follow me, is an invitation to be with rather than to go to a specific place, to travel with, to experience life with. I remember a leader in the movement that Tom and I came from. In some season, he felt this invitation to uh, spend a ton of time in the Gospels. He felt like God was just inviting him, just like read them and reread them and, and reread them. And then I remember the day when this leader said, oh my gosh, Jesus' life was amazing, as if he had just discovered this like amazing new reality. But the thing is that there is so much theology built around destination, around Jesus' death and resurrection and why Jesus died and what Jesus accomplished on the cross that we can miss out a little bit on Jesus' life and what he meant when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So I'm not claiming to understand the entirety of Jesus' statement but the very least, we're invited to understand the journey of Jesus' life because Jesus made his claim before his walk to the cross. There was no Good Friday. There was no Easter. And if we only focus on crucifixion and resurrection as the destination, we miss the invitation to go, to journey with Jesus who challenged power, Jesus who cared for the poor, Jesus who healed the sick, Jesus who challenged conventional gender norms, and on and on and on. Another way of saying this is our focus of destination obfuscates our journey as having dinner with a friend earlier this week, and she was describing her mom when, when she and her sibs were little, her mom's unrelenting like need for the kids to ask Jesus into their heart, to become a follower of Jesus, to confess Jesus with their tongue. And of course, her mom had theological commitments that drove her fear, but my, but my friend said, this is all my mom cared about. Like, she couldn't be present to us and to our lives because she was so consumed with this. 
and she was uh, not able to fully imagine the life that Jesus had for her. I came from a church planting movement. So Tom and I have talked about this many times. That's how we, thank God, have this church that we're in today. We planted it 20-some years ago. And we're super grateful for our early um, faith formation. But evangelism of, or sharing your faith with people is a big part of a church planting movement. That's how you grow your church. And it can become sort of the goal of every exchange. And I took this invitation um, I would say much more seriously than Tom, and probably more serious than 99% of humanity. Um, and I think I was pretty good at it. Like, I could turn any conversation into a conversation about God and Jesus. And I think that a lot of folks were genuinely grateful for those conversations. And I think in some way it, it, it uh, scratched a real itch, and I was quite sincere, but because I had an agenda for most of my conversations, I wasn't always present to what was really happening. I had a direction that I wanted the conversation to go, and I believed it was the most important conversation that that person could have. Now, to be fair, many of my conversations today are still about God and Jesus. And I'm a pastor, and it is what I'm passionate about. But I like to think that they arise organically, and that I'm a bit more attuned to the person I'm talking to. And of course, isn't, this isn't limited to religion. When I, was at single, when I was single, I can remember the point where I sort of realized I want to be married at some point, and it became harder to be present to my life as I, I got more and more focused on this destination that I wanted to arrive at. When I was in grad school um, to become a therapist in a past life, it was uh, hard for me not to uh, long for the day I would graduate and start really living. And of course, the mindfulness movement, borrowing from Buddhism, has gone a long way to um, remind us and invite us to be present to the current moment, not putting all our eggs in the destination basket. Um, number three, Ruth's confession allows for our changing and evolving. On the one hand, we can hear Ruth's words as ultimate destination. Where you go, I'll go. Like she has landed, and there's some truth to that. But ultimately, she's chosen a partner to journey with. The destination is unknown, and pretty much their goal was survival. Like if you would have asked, where do you want to get to? We want to eat. Right? We just want to survive. And while I'm married to Tom and he is my journey partner, we continue to evolve as to how we make meaning of our journey, who we are as individuals, who we are as a couple. So Jesus remains our center, but even how we understand that changes over time, and it should. Right? Hopefully we mature over time. Hopefully we become less and less egocentric over time. It only makes sense that how we understand God evolves. Journey allows for and invites evolution, growth, 
change. Journey is fluid, it's tumultuous. And finally, number four, journey enables us to flourish when destination becomes tenuous at best. Um, Kate Bowler, maybe some of you have heard that name. She's a professor of Christian history um, at Duke University. She's actually one of my favorite theologians, and especially about what we're talking about today. Um, as a young woman with a toddler, which is really only a few years ago, um, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, maybe some of you have read some of her articles or books. She is still quite prolific um, writer and teaching teacher while receiving um, treatment for her cancer. But Kate's destination have been pretty much obliterated, and she would her describe herself as living in kind of three-month chunks between three-month intervals between scans. And if I'm honest, like her story scares me, right? Her life scares me, and I don't want Kate Bowler to be my hero, right? And yet, to me, she personifies journey. That is the gift that she gives to us. She personifies living today in the present. She seems to be <clears throat> responding well to her treatment and says, maybe I'll live many years, but <clears throat> ultimately, she doesn't know, and in the end, none of us knows. But Bowler, um, who I am a great admirer of, ended a New York Times article with this paragraph that I'll close with this morning. She says this, she says, what strange math. There's nothing like the tally of a life. All of our accomplishments, ridiculous. All of our striving, unnecessary. Our lives are unfinished and unfinishable. We do too much, never enough, and are done before we've even started. We can only pause for a minute, clutching onto our to-do list at the precipice of another bounded day. The ache for more, the desire for more, life itself, it is the hardest truth. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you are God of our journeys that you are with us every moment. That you're with us now. Like as we breathe in this moment, we breathe in your breath of life, present to us now, like at this very moment where we're sitting. We are people who have so many goals and so many destinations, God. And we know how much our, easier our lives will be once we get to whatever that thing is.
we only have one moment with you, and that's this moment. Help us, oh God, to be a people who are present to you, to each other, to ourselves. Every moment. Help us to be present to our journeys, oh God. Amen.